Do you remember that nagging song you used to sing when you were young? I'll get more specific. The song was a chance for an entire group of friends to gang up on one specific friend who happened to like another person. Sort of a mom mentality kind of annoyance. In the most irritating voice you can, you would sing, someone and someone sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby in a baby carriage. Thinking about it now, that song's weird. Do people normally hang out in trees? Think, I, let alone, do they kiss in trees? I've never seen that happen. Um, also, what kids call a stroller a baby carriage? Well, besides the silly things about it, thinking about it now, the process that the song describes makes less and less sense to people today. Granted, it's already overly simplistic with its order of sitting, kissing, love, marriage, and then family. Probably more moving parts to that than that. But in that process, marriage is included. Now, we can turn to a lot of different places when talking about the modern view of marriage. But it's ironic that for all the hubbub, for all the controversy surrounding the meaning of marriage, less and less people are actually getting married. The Pew Research Center has found some surprising statistics about marriage in the United States. People are delaying marriage longer than they ever have before. In 2017, the median age at first marriage was 29 and a half years for men and 27 and a half years for women. Compare this to 1960, when the median age at first marriage was 23 for men and 20 for women. But it's not just that people are delaying marriage, some are avoiding it altogether. The Pew Research Center also found that 24% of never married people ages 25 to 34 are living with a partner. And that number is even quickly on the rise for people over 50, believe it or not. So the 18 million Americans living with an unmarried partner is up 29% just since 2007. Well, this is telling of the times in which we live, but I don't share these stats simply to sound the alarm and to stir up the base. Collecting data is one thing. Interpreting data is another. So based on these trends, it's clear that people are disillusioned with the institution of marriage. There's no simple explanation, but a huge factor must be that they've witnessed people practice this institution badly. They watched their parents stay married and stay miserable. Or they were affected by the ever-increasing divorce rate. They didn't see their parents cherish one another and witness more fights than forgiveness. It's not to say that marriage is easy, but there is a better and best way to practice it. Now, this isn't a sermon about marriage, but this does clue us into the topic for discussion today. We've seen two different traps that people can fall into as far as marriage goes. The first trap is they, they can just get rid of the institution altogether. They've seen how it works, and they don't want to get burned. What's more is that they don't see why it's necessary. The heart of that is that they want to get all the benefits of a marriage relationship without the commitment and structure of a marriage relationship. The thing is, though, the structure and commitment of the institution of marriage is meant to hold the benefits in place. One author puts it like this. It's the wine glass to the wine. If you just try to hold the wine, things are going to get messy. So that's one trap you can fall into. The other trap 
is that you can practice it in such a way, the institution of marriage, that is. You can practice it in such a way that it becomes meaningless. People buy into the institution, but they have no understanding of what it's supposed to be. When it comes to church membership, there are similar traps. We can avoid it or toss out the institution altogether. Maybe this is because we've seen or experienced ourselves how churches hurt people. Maybe we'll go to church, but we'll do it on our own terms. We like meeting with people and talking about God. We like getting tune-ups for our own souls. We like all the benefits, but not necessarily the commitment. Or we may just say in general that we don't need a church. After all, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be surprised then when these churches become messy. When they're more concerned about getting a crowd than helping people follow Jesus. Like marriage, being a part of a church requires commitment. But that's when it's great. Likewise, we may fall into the trap of church membership becoming meaningless. A church may have membership, but it's not practiced well. There is no expectation that members are pursuing Christ. There's no understanding of commitment. In fact, there are probably bowling leagues that have higher expectations for belonging. Like marriage, being a part of a church requires commitment. That's how we grow. That's how we truly love. And that's tough, but that's when it's great. As you may be aware, this series so far, this sermon series, is unique for us. We believe that the normal diet of preaching should be moving through books of the Bible one portion at a time. Occasionally, though, it can be helpful to consider what the Bible says concerning a certain theme. In our case, that theme is the church. From the Bible, we've been building a picture of how a local church is to function. And today, we consider church membership. And I submit to you this main point. Our king calls his citizens to join embassies of his kingdom. In other words, if you follow Jesus, you should become a member of a local church. I want to prove that to you today. The sermon is titled, Why Church Membership? But to answer why church membership, we must answer the what and the where before that. So the roadmap of the journey ahead deals with investigating church membership. We'll answer what is church membership, kind of working toward a basic definition. Then we'll answer where do we find church membership in the Bible, kind of showing our work from the first question. Third, kind of the crux of the sermon why is church membership important? And finally, briefly, we'll try to apply this to ourselves. How does a church practice membership well? All right, hopping in. First question, what is church membership? Believe it or not, there has been a method to our madness so far in this series. These subjects are connected, and they build on one another. This means that to understand and define church membership, we have to begin with what a local church is and how the ordinances give shape to a local church. So just to make sure that you are really tired of it, let's go over again the definition of a local church. This is off offered by theologian Jonathan Lehman. A local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name Two, officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. So notice the definition begins with something basic, a group of Christians. And then from there, it describes how that group of Christians becomes a church. So for the last three weeks, we've broken down what gospel preaching is and what gospel ordinances are and how they give shape to a local church. 
So we remember that the ordinances are not only visible portraits of Christ's work for us. You know, baptism being union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. The Lord's Supper proclaiming Christ's death and membership in his body. They're not just visible portraits. They are also how God's people are known and marked off from the world. So we likened baptism then to the front door and the Lord's Supper to the family meal. Church membership flows out of the meaning of a church and the function of the ordinances. So imagine if you're invited to a wedding. I'm going to pick this analogy one more time. You get to save the dates. It's very trendy and modern, and you stick it on the fridge. You then get the invitation. You forget to RSVP. I hate the not. The, the not website, don't like it. Uh, you forget to RSVP, but you still go. The big day arrives, and when you show up, you realize that this is unlike any wedding you've been to before, and you have seen some doozies. There are no words at this wedding. There are only a series of symbolic acts. But by the end, it's clear that the couple is married, and everyone stands and applauds. Strange, right? Well, think of the symbolic acts like baptism and the Lord's Supper. Both are acts that speak. But for acts that speak to make sense, someone has to explain their significance. So a church must explain that baptism is professing faith and pledging obedience. Without that explanation, you wouldn't know what you are getting into. It'd be like a couple signing a piece of paper together and only later finding out that this means that they're married. Church membership is the words of explanation that go alongside the symbolic acts of the ordinances. It explains what is implied in the ordinances. It names the relationship that the ordinances create between a church and an individual. It's as if the church and an individual exchange rings and church membership is both of them saying, I do. So how do we define church membership then? I'll give you a fancy definition. It is a formal relationship or a covenant between a church and a Christian. It's characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. You see different parts of this. Again, notice that church membership, like the ordinances, is both an act of the church and the individual. So a church recognizes, publicly affirms, is basically saying, this person is, as far as we can tell, a Jesus representative. And the church promises to provide oversight for that individual Christian. And the individual Christian is saying back that he or she recognizes a church as faithful, gospel-declaring church. And is saying that they submit not just join, but submit his or her presence and discipleship to the church's love and oversight. So friends, this means that church membership is more than a way to keep track of people. If you want a three-word definition, church membership is mutually recognized commitment. Mutually recognized commitment. That's why it's described as a covenant. It's making promises to one another, the church and the individual. So that's the what. Where is church membership? Besides being a logical implication of what a local church is and how the ordinances function, well, where do we find church membership in the Bible? Are we just forcing our modern concept of joining voluntary associations like clubs or gyms onto scripture. We're just fo forcing our 
concept of membership onto the Bible? No. But we should remind ourselves that these kind of organizations also existed in Bible times. Anyway, where do we find church membership in the Bible? You should look at two different truths, two truths that the Bible presents. One, churches in the New Testament knew who was among them. They knew who was among them. The people were identifiable. Two, we look at the images that the Bible uses to describe the church. So, defending church membership from the Bible, churches knew who was among them, and we see the images used to describe the church. The churches of the New Testament knew who was among them. They were congregations of specific, identifiable people. In other words, they knew who were inside the church, and they knew what people were outside of the church, who belonged and who did not. Those inside the church, the best that they could tell, simply, they were Christians. And that's important to remember. Church members are no more than that. They are no more than Christians. They are those who, when confronted with a holy God, say, I am a sinful person, and I have sinned against you. And then they say, I deserve your judgment for my sin. But there are people who also say, I cast myself wholly on Christ, trusting that Jesus carried the full judgment for my sin. They cast themselves wholly on Christ, not just for their forgiveness of their sin, but also for their righteousness. They say to God, don't look at me. Look at your son in my place. And having done that, they now have a new stance toward their sin. Rather than living for it, they run from it. And they run toward their Lord. Although they are not yet without sin, they persevere in the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to repent from their sin. And they are assured that forgiveness in Christ does not change. These are the kinds of individuals churches recognize and identify as being part of them, as being members, Christians. So we can see this as we take a brief tour of the book of Acts. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. If you're looking at the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 909. Acts chapter 1, page 909. When you get there, find verse 15. Here we find the apostles are deliberating on what to do in light of losing an apostle, that is Judas. Verse 15 gives the context of Peter stepping up and taking the floor. It says this, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of the persons was in all about 120. Pretty underwhelming verse. I don't think anyone has that as a life verse. But notice the point. They knew the number of believers there. Continuing the tour, you can flip to the next chapter, chapter 2, describing the day of Pentecost and find verse 41. We've looked at this verse several times. It says this, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They were baptized, they were added to the church, and you know what? They knew how many were added to the church. Turn to chapter 4, verse 4. You see, Peter and John kept on preaching, even through persecution, and the church kept growing, and they kept on keeping track of how many people there were. They say, now there's 5,000. Keep going, chapter 5, verse 12. Luke, the author, is able to say that they were all together, that everyone was there, everyone was accounted for. They knew who they were. 
Chapter 6, verse 2. We see a giant members meeting. It says the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. That's stunning. They knew that everyone was there. Well, it's not just the pattern of Acts that shows that churches knew who was among them. It's also in the passages regarding church discipline. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5. These passages envision an individual being excluded from a known community. In other words, in order to be excluded from the church, you have to know who the church is. And that's where membership comes in. So you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You'll find it on page 964. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And find verses 5 and 6. Just glance at them as you find it. But here Paul uses a particular word that's interesting for us. He uses the word majority. Majority. So Paul assumes that the Corinthians had identified a majority of a particular set of church members who could restore a brother who underwent discipline. That was the issue in this passage. So friends, we don't get a sample church membership role in the Bible. It'd be pretty cool if we did. But it's clear that churches knew the people who were a part of them. But lists weren't unknown to churches. 1 Timothy 5, verse 9, talks about an enrollment of widows. So it's clear some kind of record was kept. We also see that they knew of lists because God talks about his list. Revelation 20, verse 12. The Lamb's Book of Life, a list of all who belong to the universal church. So churches know who's in them and who's not. But the reality that churches knew who was among them is not the only place where we get church membership. We also see images used to describe the, the church, images or metaphors. Pastor Mark Dever describes them in this way. The Bible presents the local church as an entity made up of multiple individuals, yet so highly integrated that they are identifiable as a unit diversity of people, yet unity. Now, the Bible mixes metaphors to describe the church, but it's not like Biff from Back to the Future, who doesn't know metaphors, who says, make like a tree and get out of here. No, each metaphor is rich and meaningful. The Bible describes the church, for example, it describes the church and believers in the church as members of a body. Members of a body. When confronting Saul for the first time, who would become Paul, Jesus identifies the church with himself. In other places, the church is called the body of Christ. Now, earlier, we read one of the main passages that talks about this. 1 Corinthians 12. It shows one body and many members. The image displays that a church's members are mutually dependent on one another, but have different roles. Now, is Paul using this to describe only the universal church, only the church at large? Well, it is true of the church in general that there are different roles. But friends, where would we live out those roles? the local church. Who is Paul writing to in 1 Corinthians? He's writing to a local church. Membership in a local church displays our membership in Christ's universal church. It's where it becomes concrete. You need a body of Christ to show that you are a part of the body of Christ. The Bible uses other metaphors and images. It also describes the church and believers as members of the same family. Members of the same family. So constantly we see believers being referred to as brother or sister. 
We read over and over again the widespread use of Father to refer to the first person of the Godhead. We read of the church being called a household in Galatians and Ephesians and 1 Timothy. This is all family language. Family language. As we've emphasized, Christ has reconciled us both to God and to one another. So when we are adopted by the Father, that means we are also adopted into his family. Friends, where do we put this into practice? Where does this show up? The local church. That's where this reality is displayed. So you need a family of God to show that you are a part of the family of God. Last image I want to highlight, how the Bible describes the church and believers in the church, is that they are fellow citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Fellow citizens of the kingdom of heaven, living as exiles on earth. Philippians 3, verse 20, says our citizenship is in heaven. 1 Peter 2, verse 11 says that we are sojourners and exiles here because we are not citizens here. This is not our home. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says we are fellow citizens with God's people. And what kind of authority has Christ given to his citizens? He's given them the authority of the keys, the keys of the kingdom. To assess a person's gospel words and gospel deeds and render a judgment. To do exactly what Peter did with, pardon me, exactly what Jesus did with Peter in Matthew 16. Find it on page 822 if you want to turn there. Here with Peter, Jesus affirms a right gospel confession and affirms the person who made that confession. Peter says, oh, Lord, you are the son of God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, affirming the person who said it. For you did not find this on your own. God revealed this to you, revealing the right thing, the gospel confession. So Jesus gives these keys. He authorizes the apostles to do the same thing in Matthew 16. And then he gives that power of the keys to the church in Matthew 18, verse 18. He gives them to a gathered local body of Christians. So church membership, being a part of a church, is important because we don't exercise that authority on our own. No individual alone exercises those keys. We do it as a church. And I'll be more clear in the coming weeks. So then membership is essential to the church because recognizing members is what the church has been authorized to do. In other words, we can't do the job Jesus has called us to without church membership. Well, there are more images and metaphors of the church. A bride being made ready, a temple of the Holy Spirit, a royal priesthood. But I think by now you can see that there's nothing quite like a local church and its members. And I hope that you are seeing that we are standing on firm biblical ground when it comes to church membership. So now we get to the crux of the matter. Why is church membership important? Besides being biblical, which should always be the first reason, friends, I have at least eight reasons why church membership is important. And they'll be quick, I promise. Some of them we've covered already. Number one, church membership is important because it communicates what's being said in the ordinances. It's important because of the ordinances. Jesus gave baptism and the Lord's Supper to churches. In baptism, a church is exercising the keys and saying that it affirms, as best as it can tell, that this individual is a believer in Jesus. In the Lord's Supper, churches continue that affirmation. Church membership simply names the reality that these ordinances symbolize. Church membership makes it clear that those who partake in the ordinances are indeed wearing the Team Jesus jersey. 
And to put on the Team Jesus jersey means committing to be on the team. Being a member of one body. Number two, church membership is important because it displays the community we've been saved into. It displays the community we've been saved into. One theologian puts it this way. Salvation is a community-creating event. can return to 1 Corinthians 12 and look at verse 13. What happens at our salvation? Well, many things. But the following are presented as happening at the same time. It says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So at our salvation, we are given the same Holy Spirit, and we are placed into the same body, the church. Our salvation includes membership in God's people, and that's made visible. That displays itself in a local church. Number three, church membership is important because it's how the church exercises what it's been authorized to do. In other words, it's how the church does its job. Does anyone here have a U.S. passport? I do. Um, does your photo in your U.S. passport look less like you and more like a deranged criminal posing as you? <laughs> Imagine if you used your passport to travel internationally, what it's designed to do. Maybe you're taking that trip to Europe you've always wanted to take. You see Big Ben in London, you see the Eiffel Tower in Paris, the Colosseum in Rome. Sure, it's a typical American tourist trip, but hey, you're having a good time. Your next stop is to see the Swiss Alps. After enjoying a couple days of skiing, you pack your bags, and you notice something that you didn't notice before. You're looking at your passport, and something catches your eye. It expired the day after you got to Switzerland. <laughs> now, the people of Switzerland are very nice, but those at U.S. Customs may give you a hard time. Where do you go to renew your passport? The U.S. Embassy. Does an embassy make citizens? No. All they do is affirm them and recognize them. Just like church membership. Church membership doesn't make anyone a Christian. Churches don't make anyone a Christian. All they do is when a Christian says, hey, I believe in Jesus. A church is like an embassy. Say, okay, we recognize that. Here's your passport, baptism, church membership. By giving his keys to the church, Jesus is saying that he wants the citizens in his kingdom crazy enough to actually be a part of his embassies so that they can continue the work of recognizing kingdom citizens. Now, friends, church membership is more than this. But it's not less. And friends, we don't have the authority to do this on our own. We do this together with Christ's help. Number four, church membership is important because it's how we live out our love for and responsibilities to one another. Love and responsibilities. You find John 13. You find it in your bulletin or in the Bible on page 900. And as you're looking there, you ask yourself this. What is God's plan to display to the world that we are Christ's disciples? What is God's plan for that? Begin reading at verse 34. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. But the good news is that the God of holiness is a God who has himself borne the weight of his opposition to our sin. And the love of Christ on the cross 
is displayed in the lives of Christians in the church. And the commitment of that love shows up in church membership. So do you want to show your love for Christ's people? Commit to a particular group of them. It's easy to stay on the fringe. But do you know how we know that we've passed from death to life? Well, the Bible gives the answer. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death to life when we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So being a member of a church expresses the commitment that true love shows. But church membership isn't only about love. It is also how we live out our responsibility for one another. Paul tells those in the Galatian church in Galatians 6.2 to carry each other's burdens. He says to the Corinthians that they are to use their spiritual gifts for the common good. He says to the Ephesians that they are to build up one another. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10 verse 25, not to forsake meeting together with other Christians. We could keep going with other one another commands. But I think the point is clear. How do we obey these commands if we are not living them out in a specific local church? Friends, we are called to this kind of committed love and these kinds of responsibilities. Do you know why? Because we need one another. We need one another. So if you are a member of Old Oak, maybe it's time to rethink what that means. If you aren't a member of Old Oak, know that we love you and we care about you. But consider the type of love that Jesus calls us to. Don't become a member simply for what you can get out of it. Join for what you can put into it. Join for the sake of that weak brother or sister who needs encouragement. Friend, Christ's people need help. And you may not be able to see it, but friend, you need their help too. Church membership means we commit to love a particular group of people, and that's hard. I'm not here to deny that. But true love is not always easy, and it's not always convenient. But the sweetest love is the love that remains when it's not easy and not convenient. Number five, church membership is important because it's how we hold one another accountable. It's how we hold one another accountable. We'll discuss this more next week. The Bible says that when it's necessary, we have to discipline someone who is inside the church but who is living in bold contradiction to that claim and is not willing to turn from that kind of living. The only way to effectively follow the command of church discipline, described in places like Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, the only way to effectively do this is to practice church membership. In other words, the only way we can say someone is outside the church is if we know who is inside the church. It's only when church members recognize other people as fellow church members. Do you realize that this is just so countercultural? This is so countercultural. This is radical in our age. Our age is individualistic, it says we are self sufficient. But when we become a member of the church, we are saying that we are not enough on our own. We submit to someone else besides us. By becoming a member of the church, you are saying that as a Christian, you need the help of a group of Christ people. You need their help to affirm you. You need their help to encourage you. And if necessary, you need their help to hold you accountable. Number six. Church membership is important because it allows leaders to shepherd more effectively. It allows leaders to shepherd more effectively. This will be an important verse in the coming weeks, but you could turn to Hebrews 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17. You'll find it on page 1010.
It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That phrase, those who give an account. For elders, that should burden them. Those who give an account. So the initiative to restore meaningful and clear membership at Old Oak is in part so that we elders can do our job more effectively. We want to know the souls for whom we are accountable. And since membership is less than clear, this becomes a lot harder to do. So friend, if you are not a member and you stay on the fringe, we cannot effectively pastor you. By joining and committing to a church as a member, you will help us better pray for, better count on, and better care for you. Friend, we want to do that. It's strange to say this. The Bible says that we are to submit to leaders in the church. Now, this doesn't mean that leaders can't abuse their authority. They absolutely can. And they should be held accountable for that. But friend, how do you obey that command? How do you submit to leaders if you have a casual relationship with them? Ephesians 4.11 says that pastors are gifts. Not to toot my own horn there. How do you live out that verse? How do you value this gift if you are not committed to love particular leaders? Number seven, winding down. Church membership is important for the sake of a church's witness and purity. For the sake of a church's witness and purity. The church affirms individuals as Jesus followers. They are saying to the world, this is what a Christian looks like. Not perfection, but sincere, ongoing repentance. This is meant to give clarity to the outside world. Those outside of the church should be able to look at the members of the church and recognize, oh, I'm calling myself a Christian. But you know, when I look at them, I'm not really living like one. Perhaps I'm not a Christian. That's loving to people outside the church. They may look at members and say, oh, this is what Christians are actually like. That's not what I was thinking. It is our witness. When we practice church membership well, we are in fact loving the outside world by giving them good representations of what it actually means to follow Christ. Christ died to make his church holy, but we can't grow in holiness if we don't take seriously what it means to actually follow Christ. Number eight, last one. Church membership is important for greater church health. It's important for greater church health. The committed love to a particular group of Christians that comes with church membership strengthens the community at a church. It helps individual members grow in their walk with Christ, and it fuels us to bring more people in to Christ's fellowship. Got the what? Got the where? Got the why? This would be incomplete if we do not give the how, if we do not, at least for a moment, ask what does this mean for us? How does a church practice membership well? Well, at the most basic level, churches do this when they train their members how to follow Jesus in all of life. And that means committing to preaching and teaching the Bible. At another level, though, it means clarity. It means clarity. Clarity in how people join the church as members. Clarity in what it means to be a member. And clarity in who the members are. So if you have a copy of the most recent church newsletter, I explained how it's the elders' goal to make church membership at Old Oak clear again by addressing these areas. 
So I'm rehashing a lot of what I said there. So to make the process of becoming a member clear, we are adding a new members class. It's informative time about our church, about what we believe, and about what it means to be a member. And the next step in that process is to sit down with an elder to share things like how you became a Christian. As elders, we want to know that. To share whether or not you've been baptized. You should get baptized if you're a Christian. To share their understanding of the gospel. To share their membership in past churches. Their willingness to affirm what it means to be a part of Old Oak. What it means to be a member. What it means to believe what we believe. Candidates for membership will officially become members of Old Oak upon the vote of current members, exercising the keys, recognizing kingdom citizens. And these members take into consideration the elders' recommendation. So think of this whole process as ensuring that members are Christians and ensuring that they know what they're getting into. Clarity. Churches make what it means to be a member clear when they preach and teach the Bible, because church members are simply Christians. But there is another useful tool for clarity, and that's formal written church documents. They provide a smooth road on which the car of ministry can run. So we have church covenant, clarifies what it means to be a member, and we'll go over that next week. Come hang out at 1230. Church covenant are promises we make to one another that we live out with God's help. In light of many opinions on what the Bible teaches, a statement of faith clarifies what we believe, especially on matters essential to salvation. A church constitution clarifies how a church runs. It puts into writing all of those different processes of becoming a member, of the responsibilities of leaders, the selection of leaders, so forth. The elders are proposing a church covenant, which we don't have currently, and new versions of the statement of faith and constitution. Not because our current ones are faulty or heretical, but because we believe proposing new versions is a smoother process than augmenting the current ones. And we believe the new versions are clearer, more robust, and more conducive to membership and ministry. So this whole process of proposing documents further explain the newsletter. And we want to do a thorough job in explaining. We want you to be annoyed with how well you know the documents. We want to be open to questions. And we want to submit these to you for your approval. So, clear church membership, and thus effective and meaningful church membership, comes finally when a church is clear on who its members are. Friends, unfortunately, that is not the case at Old Oak. We don't have a current and reliable membership role. Neither do we have consistent records on individual members. Yet there are many of you who have definitely joined Old Oak. So to bring greater clarity, won't bring complete clarity, but to bring greater clarity, we are conducting a membership survey. You should find those in your church newsletter. Find them out in the lobby. Um, listen to the announcements. I will announce this probably 45 times um, so that you know what to do with this survey. Well, friends, I hope you've seen that church membership is important. And we're going to see next week that it's done effectively when churches are willing to seek out those not living as Christians with the goal of restoring them. We'll talk about that more next week. I love this church. I love you people. And this should be viewed not as a time of dread, it's a time of opportunity. Time of opportunity for God, if he tarries, to use Old Oak Bible Church, to strengthen Old Oak Bible Church for the next 20, 30, 50 years. We close looking at one last passage. Turn to page 907. John chapter 21. 
What happened when Peter met Jesus again after he denied him three times? Well, the Lord asked him, Peter, do you love me? Begin in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Do we love our Lord Jesus? Let's love the sheep he died for. Let's pray. Oh God, we approach this topic as we approach any part of your word. We aim to do it with humility. Not puffing ourselves up. Not with self-righteousness. Not with saying, oh, we've gotten this right and others have gotten this wrong. We do this saying, God, we need your help. And would you help us, please? Would you make Old Oak continually more pure? And God, would something like church membership not just be viewed as an administrative matter of keeping count of people, but would it be a tool, a tool based on your word to strengthen the unity of believers here, to make disciples of Jesus here? Would you help us commit to loving particular and specific Christians? And God, would that love here be a loud witness to the world out there? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.